Hello, and welcome to Bobby and Jens. My name is Bobby Julik, and on the other side of the Atlantic is my trusted friend and co-host, Jens Volt. How you doing, Jens? Hi, everyone. I'm doing pretty good, actually. What's new at the zoo? What do you got going on over there in Berlin? Um, well, it's a weekday, so it's all about homeschooling. All day long, homeschooling. From 4th grade to 7th grade to 10th grade, um, homeschooling all day long. Well, and a little bike tour with Mrs. Folk, which was awesome. We had like such a wonderful and nice and warm day. So we did like a little bike tour, had a coffee to go on the way and just enjoyed the sun. All good on my side. You know, Jensi, some of the, the feedback after the first two episodes was I had people coming up to me and asking me, who's Jens Volt? Because they call you Jens Voigt over here in the U.S. So what, what, what are we going with? What pronunciation works best for you? Well, I guess maybe the Yenzi. I'm here with the Yenzi. <laughs> I think that's uh, like remember me with that. But um, Jeez, um, like, well, like like Bono, like Madonna. You're you're just the Yenzi. Yeah. If Dang, if bro. you actually like look at, at all these big soccer players, Ronaldo, Neymar, you made it. When people refer to you with just one name, you made it. You made the cut, my friend. Listen to me. Yeah, a Mr. legend Bobby in his Julie, own mind, folks. Me. A legend in his own mind. Okay. Here well, we at least I like myself. At least one person likes me, right? I like you too, Jens. Thank you. Same here. <laughs> we want to start by saying thanks to your listeners for all the great feedback from our previous episode with Marcel Kittel. We received some great stuff and really appreciate your support and your engagement for our new project. Today we're speaking with someone that you may not know by name, but you definitely know about his impact in the sport of cycling. He looks after some of the biggest names in the sport. Giro winner Teo Gegenhardt, world champion Mads Peterson, Joe Alameda, Soren Craw Anderson, Rubian Guerrero, just to name a few of the incredible stars on his roster. We had an incredible chat about how he ensures these guys succeed, from dealing with their success to dealing with tragedy. Today we sit down with Joao Correa, co-founder of the rider agency Corso. Hello, Jal Correa, and welcome to Bobby and Jens. How you doing, man? Doing pretty well. Thanks for having me, guys. Well, you know, we really wanted to give ourselves and our listeners a little bit of an insight into the famed agent of the stars. You know, we hear a lot about this all the time. You know, agents, you never you never see their faces. You never know really what they're up to. It's just like every rider is like, oh, call my agent, talk to my agent. Oh, I got to call my agent and see what he says. So yeah, we just wanted to kind of bring it down to brass tacks and meet you, listen to your story. I mean, you have an amazing, amazing story. Thank you. And um you know, we, we have a couple surprises from you. We talked to a couple of your friends. Uh oh. But um, yeah, let's let's start. Um, like I said, you have a very interesting story to say say the least. Uh, some may even refer to you as the world's most interesting man <laughs> with the beard. Yeah. With the beard to prove it. Well, the, the beard had to come off for my flight home, but I did shave. I did shave yesterday. This is already this is already there. So it'll be back in another two days. I'll be full beard again, you know? Yeah. Gosh, you're right. I did, now that I can see you. Well, everybody else knows you for your beard. So, uh, you know, just picture Joao and his beard. But, okay, let's, let's start from the beginning. So you immigrated as a kid to the U.S. You got a scholarship to Fordham. Then you started racing bikes. Then you started working in the magazine business and then went back and all of a sudden were, were racing on the Cervelo test team. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about your voyage. Oh, well, how much time do we have here, fellas? Because, you know, if we only have an hour, it's, it could take a little longer than that. But, you know, I my parents immigrated to the U.S. in the mid 80s and uh, I came with them. I was 11 years old. And at that time I was already racing. I'd started racing in Portugal when I was six and uh, moved to a, a place called Sleepy Hollow in New York. And I was really fortunate. There was a really nice cycling team there called Sleepy Hollow Bicycle Club and kept racing in the U.S., you know, even though 
you know, uh, I couldn't race on the nationals. We were illegal for many years. So I was basically racing in the Northeast. And back then, you know, junior racing and kids racing in the States was, was massive. There was a lot of races for nine to 11 years old. My very first race was the tour of Somerville in the nine to 11 year old category, you know? And, uh, and um, you know, so we did a lot of races in the Northeast and kept racing. Uh, in high school, I started running uh, to stay in shape for cycling and eventually ended up with a running scholarship to Fordham University, which led me into college and my decision to leave cycling. When I was 21, you know, I decided to stop racing in Europe and focus full time on uh, on um, on my studies and then went to work in the publishing world, uh, first in New York, then in San Francisco. Um, I was in Europe for a little bit in the Czech Republic, Prague and also Milan in different fashion magazines for the Hearst Group and eventually ended up back in cycling by going to work uh, for a guy named Chris Lambiazzi, who was hired as the group publisher of Bicycling Magazine uh, and Runner's World at Rodale. And he was my very first boss and kind of called me and said, hey, at the time I was at Esquire, said, I'm taking over this magazine. I'd love for you to be my number two. That got me back into cycling because I hadn't ridden in about 10 years and gained a lot of weight and kind of going back into into the magazine forced me to get on the bike because obviously we had some endemic clients and there's always a ride with those clients and uh, lost weight, got, started racing again locally, started racing again nationally. And, uh, you know, my paths crossed the paths of Gerard Vrooman, who, you know, was the founder of Cervelo and, you know, uh, a, a really interesting guy from a marketing and product point of view. And he just said, what if you came back? You know, and I said, well, you're out of your mind. You know, like people don't start back in the pros at my age. They retire at my age. And he just sort of kept at it and like put the bug in my ear. And one day I I said, OK, let's do this. And and that led me back into racing, you know, and back into the, the, the pro peloton in Europe, which I never thought I'd go back to. You know, and and uh, the team then folded at the end of that year. And I said, that, that was great. I, I decided to come back to the States and uh, went to work for LinkedIn and also founded Corso with Ken Somer at the time, as well as my other company in Gamba. You know, so that's that's the that's the five minute spiel. Well, you said something there about Somerville that I'm very curious about. What what year was that when you did that first race there in Tour of Somerville? Do you remember the year? That was 1987. So that was the 9-11 year old uh, race. And there was a kid named Yanni Feldman who used to win all the kids races back there. And my father said to me, he said, you, you, you don't leave his wheel, you know? And like, that was the only time in my entire cycling career where I just sat on a guy's wheel and came around him in a sprint. And unfortunately that was the end to Yanni Feldman's, uh, uh, you know, control of the little kids races. I took control from that day on and kept going until the juniors, you know? So 87. So now you mentioned uh, your partner, Ken Zoma, um, before. Um, since I know both of you, you are so different. How the heck yeah. did you ever meet <laughs> and start talking to each other? Yeah, yeah. I, I Ken, you know, Ken and I met at Cervelo Test Team when he was running marketing there. And I was a rider. We became, you know, we just became friends. And the agency actually was Ken's idea. You know, like I had helped a couple of guys with contracts, you know, just... If they were friends, they needed help, I helped them. And then Ken said, we should start an agency together. And he really is the reason why we're here, you know, and, and we are very, very different. But those differences is, I think, the success of our partnership. You know, we I think we balance each other really, really well. And we have an amazing friendship and partnership that I always say he is the the most trusted relationship I have. The most trust I have in another human being is in Ken. You know, and and he's, he's we have a we have a great great not just business but a great personal relationship as well. And is it right if um, I have the impression that Ken is the man looking for the talent? I mean, he looks he goes yeah. to junior races in Germany, in Holland, in Denmark. He looks yeah. at the results uh, on page twenty five at junior races. Is that correct that he is the guy looking for the talent? Yeah, yeah. Ken Ken is is like he's a savant. When it comes to spotting talent, it's unbelievable. Like, you know, pretty much all of our riders, it was Ken that said, you know, this kid, you know, and he usually does that when they're juniors. And, and he, he, man, he, he's got an eye for talent like I've never, I've never seen, 
You know, it's pretty it's pretty impressive. And even some teams have actually talked to him a lot about about uh, junior riders and young riders. And, you know, he's got he's got a great eye, you know, so him and now Andreas, uh, who is also in the agency, also does that with Ken, the performance side. So, well, I met Ken when I was writing for for Team Telecom. Um he was just a, a very young kid at that time. His father, I think, was running T-Mobile in Germany. And we're in the bus with Eric Zabel and Vernokarov and all the big guys. And this kid walks, this very young kid walks into the bus and he, everyone wanted to talk to him. He was an absolute rock star. Yeah. And he's always had that, you know, that little bit of that Hollywood model look yeah. to him. Yeah. But yeah. he was so, yeah. like right away. I hate you that. You could just but, tell. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I get that a lot between Jens and I. You know, <laughs> Jens is the the big Hollywood type, I'm just the, the little schmo. But but it was it was amazing. I mean, sharp as a tack. So um, it's great to hear you uh, kind of confirm what I saw. Gosh, yeah. that was twenty years ago or something like that. Yeah. I remember our first meeting with Vino Karov. And, you know, Vino is like a pretty intimidating dude, you know? And like, you know, and Vino is like, when you meet with Vino, it's like, you might as well be meeting with the Godfather, right? And like, we sit down and like, immediately Vino's demeanor changes to super smiley and friendly and goes, Ken, remember that time you crashed me in the training camp? And I'm literally like, you crashed Vino, dude? <laughs> Holy sh**. <laughs> you know, like he has that, yeah. he's got, it was super disarming. And like our relationship with Vino is like totally normal because of that, you know? That's that's funny that you mentioned him, uh, uh, Vinokarov being intimidating because you're absolutely right. He's a, he's a big teddy bear. But um, so, you know, I like doing research. I like reaching out to people, ask, you know, getting opinions. I spoke to our good friend, your very, very good friend, um, John Beely. Oh, and, yeah. And he's, he told me one thing that I can say for sure. Every former pro I've ever met that knows Joao, one, likes him. Two, has a good Joao story and that he and Ken work together amazingly from, you know, development all the way through Grand Tour winners. They have an eye for talent and are amazing negotiators. I mean, th that's true. Everybody. I spoke with Christian Vanneveld, the George Hincapie, and they all had a Joao story. Yeah. Well, George, I mean, George and I go back a long time from the New York days, you know, and racing as kids, even though George is a little bit older than me and was, you know, always a steps and steps ahead of everybody else. He's a great guy and our families got on super well from seeing each other at all the races every weekend, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, we have one more little surprise for you, um, and that is an audio file. So we're going to play that for you right now and then hear your response. Yeah, I think the way that they carried themselves, their characters, even the differences between the two of them uh, really struck me. And I knew it was something that I was very, very interested to learn more about initially and then, yeah, to, to work work with them. And, and here we are um, coming into what must be our, certainly, I would say, sixth uh, season working together and, and happier than ever and... More grateful than ever to to have them by my side and, and looking out for me in, in good times and bad. I love that. And anyone that doesn't recognize that name, that's uh, Teo Gegenhart, who won the Giro d'Italia last year. And I've known him since he was just a, a little tiny junior riding for uh, the Great Britain national team when he came down to Nice. But um, tell us a little bit about the story with Teo because it, yeah. It's phenomenal. I mean, you've been with him from the start. Yeah. And now you're ho hoisting the, the trophy, yeah. the overall GC trophy of the, the Giro last year. Yeah, Teo is Teo is, is, is an incredibly, incredibly unique, not just bike rider, but probably more important, unique person. He's, a, he, he's been with us since 2014. So since pretty much the beginning, when Ken and I were starting to look at young riders and under 23s and juniors, and, and he's, 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 you know, to see him, rise not just turn pro which with in Teo's case kind of everybody always expected him to be a pro and to be a big pro and it was always sort of a predestiny there you know and then his first few years as a pro adjusting to the pro peloton finding his place in 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 a team that was stacked with talent in sky you know and, and later in Naos and Grenadiers and 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 then obviously 
being there at the Giro when he won his first Grand Tour, you know, at the age of, uh, I think he was still 24 when he won it, you know, 25. Uh, absolutely incredible. And it couldn't happen to a more deserving guy. You know, Teo has a heart of gold. You know, I remember early in the race when, um, you know, Joan was about to take the pink and Joan was different teams where he's in the agency as well. And, you know, Teo said, hey, you know, I think he's a little nervous. You know, you should talk to him. And we talk to the kids all the time, pretty much every night. Most of them when they're at races and they're in those kinds of positions. I said, I can talk to him. But, you know, it'd be better if you talk to him because you've been where he is. Like, you understand it better. And I'm just a 45-year-old man, you know. Like, it's going to be different coming from you. And Teo's the kind of guy that will do that. You know, even though he is also going to be going for the win two weeks later, he will take that. You'll do that for somebody else who's in the agency or one of his teammates in a very giving way. And there's very few people that have a heart like that kid does. He's always, always thinking of other people and is an incredibly, incredible young man outside of all of his athletic, athletic achievements, you know. I remember talking about uh, Tao. He was a young kid. He gave me a ride home at Tour of California. I think it was either like the last day and we all went shopping for the kid. Well, I had kids at that time. He didn't have kids yet. Uh, I went shopping for the kids and said, hey, Jens, you need a ride back home to the hotel. And yeah, he created some space in his car and he gave me a lift back yeah. home. So yes, you are right. He does have a heart of gold. Yeah, he's, he's, he, it's even in Grand Tours where you're supposed to be focused and tradition says you close everything off and you focus. Like he's sending messages to people, you know, he's he's reaching out to people that he knows who are, might not be doing super well and in, incredible, incredible uh, character. Um, so, Joel, you have an impressive roost of riders who has been with you for a long, long time. What are the principles your agency is built on and how do you get these riders to be so loyal with you? Well, I think, you know, in the very beginning, it, the foundation of what Ken and I were trying to build was we looked at the agency world and we didn't see a lot of, you know, what we would say are professional agents. You know, I mean, generally you were an agent because you were an ex-bike rider, you knew teams, you knew riders, and that somehow qualified you to to represent people's interests. There was a few lawyers in there. There was a few people that, you know, Uh, were really good, you know, and, 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 but we saw that there was a massive, a massive opportunity for people that had a business background, you know, but also understood professional cycling, you know, and Ken and I kind of uh, felt that if we come to the market and we find the right talent, the right young riders and build a relationship with them, that's really based on trust, you know, and then they progress athletically, that the sky's the limit. You know, our, our our most important thing is just the way we go about our business every day in terms of being very transparent and very honest with our athletes and very transparent and very honest with the teams and never really playing any games. And I think we've we've built a reputation for being people that don't waste other people's time. So, you know, when there are teams that are, you know, good riders, every team's interested in good riders. We generally don't talk to every team that's interested in a rider. We don't, if we know that we're not going to put a rider in a specific team, we, we don't waste their time. We don't string them along. You know, we're very honest and very straightforward and kind of how we approach our conversations with teams. That's given us a credibility with the teams that I think is unique. You know, so when we need to sit down with somebody and talk about a rider, we generally get the time to talk to the team and, and, and about that athlete. And then with the athletes, it's really about, you know, making sure that they see that your actions are really just always in their best interest and that it takes sometimes years to build that, which is why we, we sign kids young is to be able to build a relationship with them before we actually have to do a lot of business. You know, for some of these kids, you know, I mean, sometimes some of them have been four years. They were with us before turning pro, before there's really a contract to negotiate. And even a neo pro contract, you know, now these days, some of these neo pros are making, you know, a lot of money. But most neo pro contracts, they're fairly standard. You know, there's a range of pay. It's not that complicated. You know, the most complicated thing is to make sure the kid goes to the right team, you know. Uh, and that trust, that bond that we built with these kids, I think, is something that's really, really difficult to break. Um, you know, and there's obviously always people trying to get in the middle, other ages trying to steal your riders and things like that. But if you have that strong connection with them, if it's built uh, on trust, you know, it's really difficult to, 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 to break that. And we're really fortunate that the kids we have, you know, Ken and I always talk about, they have to be good athletes, yes, 
but they also have to have a certain character. They have to they have to be kids that we feel fit in with our way of working and transparency. And then now that the agency has gotten to be, you know, uh, you know, with with 25 athletes in it, we need to make sure they fit in with each other because there's a there's a big sense of community. All these kids have with each other in the agency. That's important for us. And I think that's the things that we do very unique and we've been doing them for a long time that has really helped us, you know, uh, get to the place where we are. Yeah, you know, a lot of agents are lawyers that never rode bicycles, you know, just kind of got into it because, you know, they love cycling, they like negotiating. But I mean, you have a degree in political science and international business from Fordham University in New York City. Yeah. And Ken has a master's in international business marketing and finance from Maastricht University. On top of that, which is massive, you're you're very supportive. You're a friend. And that's what I really admire about your agency is that you take these guys from very, very young and correct me if I'm wrong, as I understand it, for until they're making over the minimum salary, you represent them for free. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. So we don't, you know, with our, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a, a threshold that if an athlete is making under that amount, we don't take any we don't take any money from them because it's really a threshold where you're taking money out of their pocket that they need, you know. Um, and and that's you know for us that's just that's just makes sense. Our job is to look out in their best interest. We can't make decisions that we really think are against their best interests, and so we have a threshold that we don't touch. We don't touch any any and we don't take any commission. And, and then, of course, once they make over a certain amount and we start taking a percentage and it's all the agents work the same way, it's a percentage on negotiated contracts and, and deals, endorsements and things like that. But we have, I think, a very personal relationship with these kids. I think that's really important. You know, we, you know, both Ken and I, we don't have law degrees, but but most cycling contracts are super standardized. There isn't a lot. And we have an, an outside lawyer and outside tax advisors we work with. We go and get the experts to look at specific things. So the, the contract of a rider is actually the easiest part of the job. There's a market, you know, you work the market the best way you can. And and the numbers always end up where we generally think they're going to end up. And you know, I think we've been able to do some really good deals for some athletes in the last few years. But then the other stuff, making sure that they have the right tax advice, that they're not getting tax advice from their teammate, you know, that they're making the right decisions and understanding the consequences of those decisions. This is something we, we do a lot with the kids is we always say to them, we're not here to make decisions for you. We're here to give you options and to give you advice. We'll give you our point of view. We'll bring in experts, you know, when we think their point of view is going to be helpful to you. But at the end of the day, you have to make the decision and you have to live with that decision, you know, and, and really try to educate him on different things so that they're not just making decisions in a void, you know, um, so. Well, I had a really, really good friend that I know to this day that's actually sitting on the other end of this microphone that I told him to get an agent for, I don't know, 15 years. And he never, yeah. ever got an agent until he retired. Yeah. And he was one of your first clients. And yeah. that's not the reason why we have you on the podcast because like, you know, our Yenzi and I are are old now. But um Yenzi, what what was the I mean, after 15 years of me telling you, "Hey, you need to have somebody help you negotiate your contracts, give you tax advice, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera, what was it that you finally decided, "Hey, I'm going to pick Joao and and Ken. I I want to work with them." Well, in my last uh, season, I figured, okay, it's my last season. Whenever people ask me for some, something, I said, yeah, of course, end of the season. Yes, of course I do it. Of course, of course. And I totally double booked myself. So I had these two events where I was there on, let me think, um, yeah, on Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And the event was written in contract. I can only leave after midnight. Okay. Midnight. Because I was uh, giving away ceremony. Da, 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 da. So... I loaded my car, parked my car in front of that building. Then I, um, midnight plus one minute, I jumped in my car, drove home. I was home at 3 a.m. I put my, uh, on Sunday night, Sunday morning, 3 a.m. I put my alarm clock on 4 a.m. And I was on the airport at 4.30 a.m. flying to another event in London. I was naked and I figured, okay, I can't do this. I get a heart attack. I, I I need help. I need somebody to help you to become better organized. And since I knew Ken for a while, um, 
I figured, hey, that is just a logic choice now to look for help. And Ken is super qualified for that. And I'm super happy. So that's then, yeah, how I had to chat more time with uh, Joao. And I told it to the guys before, Joao, I can say it again. You are the guy I would call if my car breaks down at midnight. You are the guy yeah. I want on my side when it comes to a bar fight. You are also the guy I would ask, hey, um, with my marriage, that doesn't work so well. Joao. And he advised it. Honestly, you are the guy I would ask you at all three occasions. I want you on my side. I swear. Yeah. I remember when Jens came, Ken called and said, hey, we should take Jens. I'm like, isn't he retired? He goes, yeah, but like, we need to help this guy out. I said, okay, let's talk to him. We talked to Jens, you know, and like, I looked at Jens's contracts and, I, you know, it was one of those things where I'm like, man, like we could have made such a difference in your life if we only, if you only had, you know, us as your agents. And we started working with him and, you know, it's interesting because we had already started building a model with Ted King of what a writer can do after his career. You know, but Jens is, you know, has a name and has a personality that was, you know, completely different. And we, you know, the only, the hardest thing we had to do with Jens was take away his right to say yes. That's all we did. We just, all, the only thing we said to Jens was like, okay, Jens, you can't say yes to anything anymore. Like you just, you, you, you anybody asks you to do anything, you say, I have to check with Joel and Ken, you know, if I can do it or not. And that was the hardest time, the thing. The, the moment Jens stopped saying yes, then, you know, he started, uh, he started uh, you know, being not just better organized, but also, you know, better paid, which is important because as an athlete, you know, in cycling, especially traditionally cycling in the world you guys grew in and the time you guys grew up in, you didn't think about retirement. Like you weren't supposed to think about retirement. The, the, the idea was if you're thinking about retirement, you're done. You know, and, and we're telling our kids now, it's like, hey, the moment you sign your first contract, you start saving that money, you start investing that money. And in the case of some of the kids that we've done some, we have some, you know, pretty large Neo Pro deals that we've done in, with those kids. Like we literally say to them, if you don't save 80% of what you're making and you don't show us that you saved 80% of what you're making, you're out of the agency. Like, you know, we'll throw you out of the agency because that money can also be the thing that ruins them and takes that hunger away. So we really kind of make sure to hold these kids accountable. But with Jens, the only thing we had to do is like take Jens's ability to say yes to anything away, you know? And Bobby, you know him a long time. He says, he says yes to everything. Come to my Grand Fondo, you know, no problem. You know, like here's a plane ticket. So, so yeah. If you're the kind of cyclist like the Jensy and I, who also likes to ski and hike and ride mountain bikes, check out the new Active Pass from Outside formerly known as Pocket Outdoor Media, the parent company of VeloNews. We're both ActivePass members and we're getting access to exclusive gear discounts, cycling events, training plans, and premium content from Ski Magazine, Yoga Journal, Trail Runner, Climbing, Backpacker, and other outside publications. And there's more coming too, including Peloton Magazine. All told, it's all worth $350, which normally sells for only $99. But if you enter our special coupon code, BobbyYens25 at checkout, you'll get 25% off. Go to velonews.com forward slash ActivePass and enter BobbyYens25. That's B-O-B-B-Y-J-E-N-S 25. All one word, lowercase at checkout to receive our special 25% discount. Now, back to our chat with Joao. Getting back to that relationship that you have with your with your athletes now, I mean, you know, didn't take any money from them for the longest time, and now many of them are, you know, household names. You got Teo, you got, I'm going to ask you to pronounce his name because I pronounce it Mads Peterson, but yeah. is, how do you, it's, is it Mads or Mas? Mads, Mads. I call him Mads. Okay, good. Mads okay, I'm going to call him Mads then. Yeah. I like Mads. You know, he wins the world championship in 2019. You've got Joao Almeida, Soren Craw Anderson, yeah. Ruben Guerrero, and many, many, many more um, who have had this amazing success. When you're sitting on the couch watching these races with your, I'll, I'll say your, your sons, your little brothers, your nephews, how does it feel watching these guys grow from, you know, these little neo pros or juniors to household names in the sport? And 
it must be an amazing, amazing feeling of accomplishment yeah. and, and, and pride. Yeah, it is. It is. I mean, you know, these, these kids, they're, they're, they're all great athletes, but they're also really good kids. So, you know, now this, you know, we've, you know, we've had, we've had success in here and there, a bunch of different races over the years, you know, uh, Gerald Schiolek, one of our first athletes when we were super young, won Milan San Remo. That was a massive win. That was our first big, big win. But I, but I think that the, the event that really catapulted the agency to what it is today was when Mads was, became world champion. You know, winning the world championships with Mads, uh, being in, in, in England at that time with Ken, you know, um, seeing him was was incredible. And then, you know, it, it just all went from there. And, and especially in this past year with Juan, with Teo, you know, uh, with with Ruben, you know, with Soren, all the stuff that you see these kids do, you know, and it's absolutely incredible. And there's a lot of pride, you know. And, and the other thing is, you know, because the kids are so close to each other, you know, we have an agency uh, WhatsApp chat. They they actually, when one starts doing well, they're congratulating each other on the chat. But then the other ones start doing well. And I mean, you look at you look at the Giro. You know, I think the first Sunday, you know, we Ruben won the stage. Joao had the 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 jersey. The second Sunday. We one of our athletes won Perry Torres, won Gen Wevelgem, and Teo won the stage in uh, in in the Giro, and we had the the pink. And then the third Sunday, Teo takes the whole thing, and it was just like you know, Ken and I, we were just our minds were just blown by everything that was going on. And then for me, being Portuguese and seeing the effect that Joan Ruben had in Portugal, you know, in the country, it was incredibly touching. When we came back to Portugal after the Giro. And just everywhere we went, the kids were recognized. And it's a country that soccer is king, you know. And all of a sudden, you know, I, I remember walking out of a restaurant with them and guys that were making a sidewalk look up at them and said, you know, we're super proud of you. And I still get choked up when I think about that because I, I just was amazed and such a difficult year what we've all gone through. And folks that, you know, probably suffered more than most that can take something like sport and cycling and these two kids at the time uh, and make their lives better. It was it was absolutely incredible, you know. So there's it, a lot of pride that that Ken and I feel when we when we see these kids do well, and 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 especially you know when, because they're such great kids. It's nice to see. And now they are the stars, right? They're the guys they used to read about you guys and looked up to you guys like you, and now they're those guys for other people, you know. That's funny that you mentioned that because when I was uh, texting back and forth with with Teo, setting up your little audio clip there, he was like, "Bobby, mate, like when I was getting into cycling, I I watched the movie Overcoming over and over and over again, especially the little bonus parts with with you and Jens and how your relationship was, and it was just so so motivating. So, yeah, I mean." Guy like Teo maybe looked at us. The new kids are looking at Teo. I mean, that's that's just the way that it goes. Yeah. Yeah. And especially today where information is just everywhere all the time. You know, it, there's, it, there's, there's so much up, uh, out there now than, than athletes ever were in the past because of Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and, you know, all the different mediums that they're using to build their brands and connect with their fans and inspire people. Before we go back to more serious stuff, let me throw in a little funny question. Joao, what is more nerve-wracking, descending on your bike as a pro in the in the peloton or taking care of some 20 young kids? What is more nerve-wracking to you? Uh, I mean, the kids for sure. I mean, for me, it's like, I'm, I'm like, you know, they call me the mother. I worry about these kids all the time. Like, it's just what I do. Like, you know, I, I, even the winning, like the winning isn't the thing that you know, they win. It's great. You know, it's, it's amazing when they win. I just, I just want to make sure they're safe. Literally, like, you know, I, I start looking at results from the bottom to see if anybody crashed, you know, and like uh, for me, you know, and, and Ken always laughs at me because like, I'm like the mother. So the descending in back in the Peloton days, that was, that was super easy, even though I once crashed into an ambulance and that's how I met Lawrence Tendam. But outside of that particular episode in the tour of Switzerland, you know, the sending was always great. Uh, worrying about these kids, uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's, you know, I'm, I'm a parent. You guys are parents. You know how that is, you know, and, and, uh, and, uh, and they're, for me, you know, we have such a personal relationship with them that it's really, it, it can be really nerve wracking, you know, and especially with Lawrence, man, like I suffered with Lawrence 
so many times because it was a long time that guy was crashing a lot, you know, and, and that, that's, that, that's always harder for me. But talking about being a parent and knowing that this is a dangerous sport and accidents happen, let's talk a little bit about Adrian Costa. Now you're going to get me to cry. When he had his, when, when he had his accident, Joel, I, I have to say that was when I knew if I was a young pro or if I was a pro looking for an agent, I would have called you immediately because his accident where he wound up having his leg amputated in uh, August of 2018, you were there immediately. Yeah. Like you probably had a million other things to do, but like, tell us a little bit about him and, and how you're supporting him um, through this tough time. And how's he doing? Yeah. Adrian is, you know, I mean, Adrian's a really unique uh, kid, you know, I still think of him as a kid, even though he's 21 already, you know, um, he was the first of these super juniors, you know, that could have gone pro. And back then kids didn't go from the juniors to the pros, but he, he really was an absolutely massive talent physically. Um, you know, when, when the accident happened, you know, he was taking time off, you know, from racing, which Axel Merckx, who he was racing for at the time, really supported him in, you know, and I obviously and Ken really supported him in to try to figure out what he wanted to do. You know, I wasn't sure if he was going to come back to cycling or not. Uh, but I remember I was in Lisbon planning my father's 70th anniversary uh, when I get a text from uh, uh, Ashley Gruber, you know, just saying, I have a friend who's a climber. We heard that Adrian had an accident, you know, um, uh, like didn't have a lot of information. Of course, I call him, doesn't pick up the phone. I call his mother, she doesn't pick up the phone. And I remember, man, like just getting really nervous, you know, and like like it was your kid, you know, all of a sudden. And finally, I get a call from his mom who was then on the way to the hospital and told me what was going on. And, you know, she didn't have a lot of information at the time either. Um, and, uh, I wasn't able to talk to him until he was out of the operation the next day, but I, I, I was on a plane back, you know, like I, I got on a plane the next day or the day after to California and Axel did the same thing. And uh, we went to see him at the hospital and it was, um, it was really, it was really difficult to see him go through that, you know, not, not just in terms of athletics, but in terms of him as an individual, you know, he's a really unique young man. He's a very smart young man. He's a really kind kid. Uh, and we went through a lot with him of trying to figure out what, what does he really want to do and support him, including if that's not racing, you know, he's, he's doing well, he's climbing, he's really doing a lot in the, in the climbing world. And, you know, he went, he finished school, he graduated last, last year and, you know, is trying to figure out what he's going to do with his life right now. But he's, I think he's doing as well as he's ever done, you know, and he's doing it in a very honest way. It's not easy. You know, I always, it's not easy to walk away from what that kid walked away from because his opportunity in terms of financial and career wise was in front of him. All he had to do was say yes and keep racing his bike and he would have made a ton of money right away. And he decided to not do that. And I have a lot of respect for him for that. And so does Axel, you know, to to be able to walk away from all of that, because in your heart, that's not what you want, you know, and we just really, you know, supported him in that. And my relationship with him is is very unique. You know, he's a unique kid. And, uh, you know, I talk to him every couple of months and sometimes he pushes, sometimes he comes towards me. You know, I have a 15 year old son that every day looks more and more like him, which kind of freaks me out, you know, but uh, but he's I think he's doing as well as you can do when you're trying to figure out what you want to be in life. And you're 21 years old with all the confusion that kids have, you know, but but making that decision to walk away from what would have been, you know, his first contract would have been a massive contract. I, I have a lot of respect for him for that. And to this day, you know, and this is a credit to him. There isn't meetings in Europe that I'm not with, whether it's with Machine, whether it's with Lefebvre, you know, whether it's, you know, with, with Unzwe at, at Movistar, Brailsford. There isn't, if we have six meetings in a day, three people will ask, how is he doing? 
you know, like it's unbelievable. The kid really touched a lot of people on a personal level, you know, and uh, and because he was a stagiaire at, at the at Quick Step at the time, he has special relationships there with Patrick and with and with Machine that, you know, they, they still ask about him and everybody still, you know, is in wonderment at what that kid, uh, you know, did. And luckily he survived. Luckily he's still alive, you know. So, Joe, you have any new developments coming up with the causal agency some news you would like to share with us yeah yeah we actually we're we're in the process of launching although we haven't announced it yet um we're launching a women's uh, arm of the agency which is something that ken and i have been talking to, uh, about for a while you know we had helped a few women athletes in the past you know and and we finally decided that we think that you know the women's women's side is developing so fast that you know, there, there needs more professionality in there. And you've got teams like Trek that are really taking a leadership role in, in, in paying the right salaries and raising the level for how they support their athletes and making no distinction between the men and the women's team. And we felt that we wanted to be part of this conversation, of this change that absolutely needs to happen for more equality within the sport, not just in gender parity, but also you know, and, and, and other things that the sport is struggling with, you know, to be more equal and more open for everybody. So we're super excited about that. We're starting with four with uh, with uh, four athletes uh, and it's, you know, we're we're going to grow it the same way that we did the men's agency, which is focus on young athletes and attracting the right talent. We hired somebody named Katie Boiling to running for us. Uh, she used to work at uh, World Bicycle Relief and uh, in the past and, you know, is a very passionate cyclist and we wanted to, you know, bring us a different level of representation to the agency. So we're we're excited about that. We think there's a lot of opportunity in, in the next few years uh, in women's cycling. That's awesome. Uh, you're absolutely right. I mean, <clears throat> these women sacrifice just as much as the men. And, um, you know, we need to get them the same opportunities and the same representation. They, they sacrifice more, you know, because they, I think they sacrifice even more. It's like it's like being a bike racer in America back when you were a bike racer. You didn't become a bike racer unless you absolutely loved racing. You know, like it just it just wasn't something you did as an American kid in high school, you know. But you, if you really loved racing, then you became a bike racer. And I think with with women's sports and especially and in women's cycling, those girls have sacrificed for years, not being paid not even close to the same, you know, and really having to invest in the love they have for the sport. And, and it's great to see that people are recognizing now that and, 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 and helping, you know, raise their profile as professional athletes, which they are just like the men. Great point. Great point. And I can't agree more. Um, another kind of interesting subject that came up recently was that you guys have teamed up with Jorge Mendez, who yeah. is the super agent of European football. Yeah. Um, first of all, how, how's this working out? Because we've also heard from guys like Mark Matteo, yeah. who said he doesn't want super agents in <laughs> yeah. cycling. Yeah. Um, does he have a point? I mean, what, what, what's he really talking about? But more, most importantly, how is this? How are you going to work with with um, with him? Uh, yeah. With. I, I guess some of your Portuguese athletes, is that right? Yeah. So, I mean, our relationship. So one of the things that after Teo won the Giro, we had to figure out is what what happens when these kids start blowing up, you know, and Teo winning the Giro was blowing up. So how do you help them grow commercially outside of their cycling contracts? And how do you drive opportunities to them? We as an agency are not in a position to truly drive the opportunities they deserve as international stars in, in an international sport. So we decided that we either bring in those capabilities into the agency or we start forming uh, partnerships with outside agencies who are in that business, you know? So agencies like Wasserman, you know, agencies like Saatchi in London with Teo. And, and this is where our, our, our agreement with Polaris Sports and George's uh, agency came in that it is focused on the commercial aspect of these athletes and the marketing of these athletes commercially. Uh, and it's focused primarily on the uh, for for George on the Portuguese the five Portuguese writers that that we have in the agency. Those are the, the what they're doing, you know. And I saw Mark's uh, comments, and you know, I think there was a lot of misinformation when this thing got launched. I mean, I, when it launched, it really blew up because of who George is, you know. Like whatever he puts his name on is going to blow up, and you know, there was a lot of misinformation out there, uh, you know. 
George is, is going to represent them in their commercial aspects through a company that he owns, Polaris, which represents, you know, football players like Cristiano in the commercial space. You know, there's a different company called Justifoot that represents uh, that George also owns that represents uh, Cristiano's contracts, just like we at Corso represent the athletes on the contract side of, with the teams and, and Polaris or Saatchi or Wasserman will represent them on the commercial side to drive more opportunity for them. So, you know, in terms of the super agents coming into, into, you know, into, 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 into cycling, I, look, teams don't like agents. If it was up, if teams were deciding if there are agents or not, there would be no agents because we drive prices up. We drive value for our clients. And, you know, I think that's a very positive thing. Our job is to look out for the best interest of the client, not necessarily the best interest of the, the team. When we do our job right, both work together well. But, you know, I, I don't have an issue with, with what Mark said. I thought it was actually pretty funny, um, you know, and, and, and it, it is what it is. But it's amazing to see what happens when George came in, how much of that became, you know, how much his name elevated cycling. You know, and that's what people really should be looking at. The sport needs to be elevated. We need to think differently. We need to work closer together. Uh, and and these partnerships for us uh, are that, you know, is our ability to think differently at how we drive value for our athletes, you know, and we can do that on their cycling contracts. But then we can be the mother agency and also go find the right people to drive that that for them in the commercial side, you know. When they're ready, because they're not all ready, right? You have to win the Giro. You have to win the Tour. You have to win the World Championships. You have to come break out a little bit. And then you're a big star in your country. And hopefully if one day you win the Tour, then you're a big star globally, you know? So it was the first step. So just when you mentioned the sport needs to be elevated, we kind of like coming to our last question here, which is a tough one. Now, um, a lot has been discussed about cycling's overall business model and that most teams depend on a single sponsor after sponsor pulls out teams are going um you seem to look at the wider picture what can be done what needs to be done to get cycling on a financially more stable basis or how can we like you know move cycling to the better yeah well i i think the 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 hardest thing and the reason that cycling i think struggles is the same reason why soccer baseball football back in the day also struggled there was no unity you know in my in my opinion if you had somebody buy the sport out and really close the sport in a way to drive revenue for all the players inside teams athletes, you know, races, then the sport could grow like football did, like soccer did, like baseball did, you know, where, where, you know, everybody understood that we're in this together and it's not us again. It's not the athletes against the teams. It's not the teams against the races. It's not everybody against the UCI or the Tour de France. It's everybody has to understand that if we're a $300 million business today, how do we get to be a $3 billion business? And you don't do that by being divisive. You do, you do that by figuring out ways to, to, to monetize it for everybody. But cycling has issues that, say, soccer doesn't, which is, for example, we don't have gates. We don't have – nobody's paying to go see a race, right? So you're not getting that revenue, you know? Merchandising is almost non-existent in that teams are not making that much money for merchandising. So there are some problems like that that you have to figure out, you know, in order to grow the sport. But the, the, the basic foundation of it is that athletes, teams, races, organizing uh, bodies all need to be in, in the same direction and not against each other. You know, the stuff we deal with with the CPA, it's, it's you know, it's like in any other sport. You, you'd laugh. It's like a, it's like an organized riot, you know, like it's, 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 there's no, there's no, um, people aren't thinking in the big picture 10, 20 years from now and what they need to do from their side to drive it forward because everybody's constantly fighting for the same little scraps and, you know, sponsorship model the way it is, which is if you lose a sponsor, your team is done, doesn't help, you know, but then you have people like, Brailsford, who, you know, hey, when Sky was done, man, he had five, six people ready to go. And he got to pick who he wanted to be partners with, what he thought would be the best partner for his organization. You know, and then you you have people like Richard Pluga as well, you know, at, at, at Jumbo, at Visma, that, you know, when Rabobank pulled out 
you know, he had to go find a sponsor and they built amazing organizations because I think that they, they, you know, they, 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 they think differently in, in that respect. And, and that also leads, of course, to success on, on the road, you know? So to me, that's the biggest issue is that we continue to be divisive, us versus them, you know? Yeah, you, you mentioned those two organizations of uh, Brailsford and Kluga, and let's just hope that more teams uh, start to follow that and emulate that and build this sport up to be what, what it can and should be, and that it doesn't take another 20 years to make it happen. Joao, thank you so much for your time. Thanks, It's guys. always great talking to you. Um, man, keep doing what you're doing. The guys love you. The sport is is going places and just appreciate, you know, what what you've done in the in the time that you spent with us today. Thank you. Thanks for having me, guys. It was a pleasure. Thanks, Joao. Good to see you again. Same here, Jens. Okay, everyone. We're back to the famed hashtag shut up legs portion of the show. We did have some bike racing on TV this last week. The Tour de Alpes Maritime et du Var. So, Jensi, who gets your Oh, so coveted hashtag shut up legs award of the week. I actually would give it to Gianluca Brambilla because at first it looked like the whole team is racing for Bauco Molama, winning the stage, taking the jersey, and in the end, you know, he just comes out of nowhere, bang, and takes, you know, the overall. So Gianluca Brambilla did the pretty good ride, shut up legs award for him. So my hashtag shut up legs award of the week goes to Jonathan Navarez from Ineos Grenadiers. Why you may ask? Yenzi, when you said shut up legs, they actually listened. But here with Jonathan, when he said shut up legs, they didn't listen. His legs really, really hurt. And he was on Michael Woods's wheel there in the final couple hundred meters of the second stage of the Tour de Alpe Maritime at Duvar. And uh, he just couldn't hold the wheel. But you know what? He hung on for third place, podium. He gets my vote this week. And as always, to all the listeners and all the fans of our show, you can also give us your opinion about who deserves the Shut Up Legs Award in your eyes. So just write to us and let us know what ideas you have about this. Thanks for listening to Bobby and Jens. Please rate us and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to Joao for talking to us tonight. Thanks for being our guest. This show was a Velo News production in association with Shocked Giraffe. The producer was Mark Payne, and this episode was edited by Kirk Warner. Stay tuned next week. We have quite a guest for you. Let me tell you, Mr. Taylor Finney. If everything goes right in the podcast world, which isn't 100% certainty, we will be talking to him next week. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Bobby and Jens. For sponsorship inquiries, please reach out to sales at villanews.com. <laughs>